Two Chocolate Cakes is a story of two cakes, bookended at the beginning of one life and at the end of another, and all the culinary and emotional layers in between those moments. Fried Smelts The stones were my parents' other best friends, which is to say that our mothers were close and our fathers drank together on the regular. They had the big white federal with the fields and the orchards next door to my parents' modest gray cottage in the bucolic Connecticut River Valley town of Hadlime. The stones had large, expansive, and expensive cars and all the newest and freshly painted swing sets and bicycles. My mother sewed matching clothes for me and Aaron Stone, who was just one month older than myself. There's a series of pictures of the two of us as toddlers, she chubby-faced and blonde, me thin with long tangled brown hair and buck teeth, hugging in the long sharp grasses of the farmer's field behind our houses, wearing our plaid overalls. I don't remember this, but in the pictures we looked happy and healthy and the best of friends. There were three of us girls, born a few months apart, Nell Rock, Aaron, and me, plus my sister Kay, the oldest, then Lily Rock and Mary Stone, two years older than the three of us, and Annie Rock, the youngest, and we all grew up together like puppies from separate litters. John Stone was, quote, in real estate, but mostly he just lived off his mother, Louise Stone, who was a society lady. He bought and sold land and bought and sold cars, making some amount of money on each of the deals and using it to buy more land or cars. Peggy Stone was a college-educated woman who gave up teaching grade school to be a full-time wife and mother. The Stones had all the money my family lacked. Aaron and Mary never wore hand-me-downs, always got the best of everything from their wealthy grandmother who lived down the road and had a big house with a pool. We went to the pool often, but my sister and I didn't go in the house. We waited outside on the stone patio, shivering in our bathing suits and damp towels, while Aaron and Mary visited with their grandmother, and their maid watched us from the terrace, I suppose to make sure we didn't steal or break something. The girls would emerge sometimes later, with their faces still sticky from ice cream or chocolates, and then we would all walk home. We had moved out of state when I was young, but the stone stayed on Jonestown Road for years. My father moved us back to town when I was five, and we reconnected with the stones again. They were still well off and had all the right bicycles and Barbie dolls. But Peggy and John fought long and hard into the evenings, keeping me awake with anxiety when I stayed overnight. A few years later, they divorced. Peggy packed up the girls and traded her big wood-paneled station wagon for a teeny Honda Civic got a really small dog and religion in that order, and moved to Boston. Aaron and Mary came back to visit their father often, and even though we had drifted apart due to distance in our launch into our early teenage years, our mothers made us get together at the big white federal house with the black shutters that their father still owned on Joshua Town Road. Mary and her father fought the entire visitation, and eventually she stopped coming. We were not allowed to talk about her in front of John Stone, 
The mere mention of her name sent him into fits of anger and drinking. John Stone drank a lot more when Mary wasn't around and stationed himself outside the bathroom door when we were bathing, reminding us to wash thoroughly. We stayed in the tub, whispering, looking toward the door to see if the doorknob was twisting, until the water got cold and eventually he went back downstairs for another beer. We'd put on our nightgowns and creep down the hallway to our beds. It felt strange being there without Mary. Because she was the older sister, she had taken charge of us, made sure we got to bed at a reasonable hour, brushed our teeth, had dinner, sat in the bathroom talking during baths and showers. I tried to get out of going. I feigned upset stomachs and headaches, but my mother got wise after the first few tries and shipped me off anyway. Mom or Dad dropped me off on Friday night, just in time for dinner. Dinner was always an adventure during those weekends at the Stones. Whatever it was that I wasn't eating at the time was likely the main course, and because it was Friday, it was most often fish. Fried fish. Fried smelts, usually. Small, completely breaded little fishes, deep fried. Sometimes we'd have french fries, too, and the kitchen's low ceilings would trap the greasy, thick smell of the oil and fish. Erin loaded my plate up with the three-inch golden brown scraps of fish while her father drank bud out of a long neck bottle, letting Aaron and Nell slip from the bottle, pretending he didn't see. Sometimes I think they drank more beer than he did. I fed my plate to Becky, the sweet black lab who peed a wide puddle on the floor if you raised your voice at her. John Stone left us to clean up the dinner plates while he retired to his bath. Even my hair and skin smelled like oily fish, and it took days for me to get that smell out of my nose. We didn't eat fish at my house. My father refused fish on the grounds that it reminded him of his childhood, some of which was spent in a children's home because his family couldn't always care for him, the last of nine children born to Irish immigrants and much younger by decades than all his siblings. Fish and livery said were served for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and he would never eat it again, and that was fine with me. But at the Stones, fish was a staple, and so was liver. Breakfast was usually safe. Cereal, eggs, the occasional Pop-Tart. Despite my preliminary reluctance at visiting Aaron, the days were usually fun. Spent climbing the fruit trees in the orchard, fishing, swimming in Grandma Weezy's pool. Aaron stole dollar bills from her father's wallet while he was asleep in his chair in front of the TV. And we used that money to buy our favorite snacks at the country store down the street. John Stone had a big color television and got at least four channels. We only had a black and white TV with two channels, and he insisted on watching TV with us after dinner in the big, thickly carpeted living room, which meant no laughing or joking during the commercials. The Stones had an excellent selection of board games, however, and Aaron and I quietly played Parcheesi or Chinese Checkers. Battleship and Clue and the Game of Life were definitely too loud. Her father drank scotch out of a heavy glass with ice, his refrigerator made ice cubes, while he watched television with us. Sometimes he cleaned his hunting rifles from the comfort of his leather recliner. No one was allowed in his recliner. He shouted that we got our girl smell all over it, and that was unacceptable. He towered over us in his chair, his robe inevitably swinging open to reveal his waterlogged and flaccid testicles and penis. He moved his robe to conceal his private parts once, but eventually the damp terry wrap fell to the sides of his belly and he was exposed again. We would try not to notice anything, trying hard not to laugh that little girl nervous giggle, not making eye contact with each other, but it was difficult to ignore, especially since it happened every time I was there. 
We waited till he drifted off in mid-mumble and our usual tiptoe back upstairs to bed. Later in the dark, we would vow never to tell our mothers, but eventually one Sunday night, Erin was done visiting her father, told her mother, who called my mother and Mrs. Rock, and after that, we didn't go for overnights there anymore, instead staying at Grandma Wheezy's with the pool when Erin came to visit for those weekends, which honestly became fewer and farther between. And not long after, we were truly teenagers getting ready to go off to college, and John Stone was found in his dirt floor cellar, shot with his own hunting rifle, which had fallen by his side just out of his slack hand. Deep Fried Smelts, the recipe. Headless smelts, one bag, usually a pound from the freezer section of the store. Lemon juice, one egg, a half a cup of milk, a half a teaspoon of salt, a half a cup of flour, one small bowl of breadcrumbs, which is about a half a cup. One teaspoon vegetable oil. Defrost the fish. Soak in lemon juice 10 to 15 minutes. Beat until foamy one egg. Add milk, salt, flour, and vegetable oil. Continue beating until smooth. That's the batter. Dip fish into batter, then roll in breadcrumbs. Make sure your kitchen is well ventilated. That oil smell gets everywhere. Drop into hot grease, which is about 370 degrees. Brown on one side, turn, brown on the other side. Lift out of hot fat and drain on paper towels. Serve to those who like them and plan to have pizza or a peanut butter sandwich for yourself. Thank you for listening. For more information about the recipes you've heard here, including author notes, photos, secret tips, and more, please visit twochocolatecakes.com. That's two, the word two, chocolatecakes.com.